All right, we're in the Psalms, and we've been looking at, uh, started last week on Psalms that I haven't really spoken on much, uh, which are the imprecatory Psalms, uh, because they're not as, um, how would I put it, as sometimes joyful or have a, a common theme of sort of an uplifting nature, although they, they do have that, uh, as some of the more familiar Psalms, like Psalm 23 or, or several other Psalms I could think of that are go-to Psalms for people when they are looking for uh, something to kind of boost their heart and give them a joyful song in that. And when I come to these imprecatory Psalms, as I mentioned last week, uh, the word imprecatory, it, it has a category of, of sort of the, the word itself means to almost to place a curse on, <laughs> and that isn't very popular, is it? I don't think uh, that's necessarily what's being uh, taught here by that word, and nor by the Psalms, but it is essentially coming and praying for God's judgment on sin and on sinners, and there are several of these imprecatory Psalms, and as you're reading through them, um, sometimes I get a little uncomfortable looking at them, and, and I think, wow, you know, that's pretty pretty harsh language for men like David which is uh, tonight we're going to look at a psalm of David and we're going to see what this one is about and yet they're filled with truth obviously the whole book is truth but just these truths that drive home and I think they're as practical today to us and I would always say this as I said last week that though in this dispensation we we come not in the same sense as Israel did in praying for their earthly land and their people and praying upon their enemies in the sense of praying that their enemies be judged christ um, talked that the fact that we ought to be praying for our enemies um, and also but but he but he also said to be able to forgive our enemies right and to do that you see that balance throughout the psalms also the balance of mercy grace but also that god would judge and there is this cry that goes throughout Scripture from really the, the fall of man and the very first instance of innocent blood being shed or blood being shed, which was Cain killing his brother. And we have really right there on this call for justice that somehow God would provide a way to judge. And sometimes that includes putting down very evil people. And I don't think it's inappropriate to make those prayers at times and say, Lord, take these who are committing great evil acts out of the, out of the way. Get rid of them. Do whatever, Lord, but you do it. And again, I don't encourage anybody to try to go and take the place of God in doing that, but rather saying, Lord, however you do it, your will be done. And we will find that in the great tribulation period, Uh, in the book of revelation you remember in that tribulation time there will be those that were martyred for their faith and there they will actually cry out and who will avenge and they cry out before the lord in doing that and so that imprecatory nature of calling out to god for judgment to come uh, is is something that is seen in scripture and again in the old testament you see both right we we haven't got to it yet but in our study in the morning on abraham in Genesis chapter 18, there's a good portion of that, that chapter dedicated to Abraham interceding on behalf of sinners, in behalf of those that were committing great, wicked, evil works. And uh, they really ought to be thankful that Abraham did that, and the Lord was gracious. Anyways, 
We're in Psalm chapter, or Psalm 12, and we're going to read down through all eight verses here and then go back to them. To the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Lord, we open up your book again tonight, thanking you for it. And Lord, we come to these psalms which cry out for justice. And Lord, I thank you that you are a God, a holy God, a God that will not let sin go on forever. And Lord, I thank you that you answered sin at the cross and you took our just penalty. You took all the sin that we've ever committed and will commit and you nailed it to your cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for such great sacrifice and I pray even tonight we'd appreciate that. And Lord, help us as we again open up your word that you teach us as only you can. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want an outline, the outline has... Uh, three areas of words and and the first one is the words of the righteous and the psalm opens up with David crying out and he says this he says help Lord for the godly man ceases if you didn't have time to write that I'll go back to that slide there but he says the godly man's nowhere to be found and I don't know about you if you ever felt sort of alone with things and you feel like you're awash in a world that is filled with all kinds of wickedness and words that flow very easily from people, but they're evil words. And I think some of those words that we've, we've tried to re-word you know, uh, things in such ways that we try to get away from sin, right? And the nature of sin, those kind of things. And there's lots of words like that I can think of, and uh, often under the sort of the guise of political correctness and whatnot. Um, things you can say and can't say because others define them and and when you come to words of sin uh-uh, don't don't say those things right i mean you say adultery no 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 extramarital affair right i mean that's been one that's been for around for a long time almost sounds like something we all should do right enhance our marriage by going out committing adultery you know that god calls it in scripture adultery you know that's just kind of the way people are you know they talk about uh, sin but then they don't like to be confronted with that so let's just reinvent words or sometimes we do it just uh, to reinvent so we don't offend people but I think in the process you can offend people can't you you can do that and we call things um, that are obvious on their face something that isn't you know what we want to name it or whatever else uh, and I came across I don't have it with me a list of of things that you can say and can't say that They've put out for journalists, you know, so that when you write articles today or you give news segments, 
you stay politically correct so not to offend. Like, for instance, you can't call anybody fat, right? They're metabolically challenged or something like that, you know? Uh, those kind of things. Make it sound a little bit less harsh or um, you're not wrong. You're just not... Um, how, how I saw one It says, you can't call somebody wrong, just the lesser best. No, no, something like that, you know? Instead of failing, they're called lesser best or those kind of things. What's that? No absolutes, that's right. And everything's relative, isn't it? Or uh, someone who's a biological male competing in a female sport, and we, we say that's brave, you know? In my day, it was, it was what we called absurd, you know? <laughs> when we, we laughed at men that dressed up like that, and we would say that's just crazy. In all of human history, we've said that. But now today, we say that's just brave for someone to do that. No, that's just wrong, you know? And... I can identify with people that are confused or have other leanings or those kind of things and just say, you know, that may be your heart, that may be what you think and all that, but you don't change people's biology. But yet, for the sake of political correctness, we have to, we can't even say what a woman is or a man is, you know. And in the process of that, we've ruined, in, in many ways, those whole areas of uh of of the sexes right men can't be men and women can't be women instead we have to all go to some other realm that someone else defines i I don't know anyways i don't want to get on all this because uh, that's not the heartbeat of this psalm but sometimes in a world that light is upside down like that you go where are the righteous the righteous cease help lord for the godly man ceases for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men and sometimes you look out there and you wonder, is, it, is there anybody else out there that is a believer? Someone that would follow the scriptures? And, of course, the answer for that is, yes, there are. Um, and the Lord eventually answers in this. But definitely there are times in human history where believers have, well, uh, their light has not shone as bright. In various parts of the world, that has, been, has gone on. My system just died here. Hold on. There we go. As that comes back up. The book of Genesis in our study on the life of Abraham. You have uh, the account there where Abraham was told by the Lord that he was to go out. And that through his seed all the earth would be blessed. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here is the covenant God makes with his people. And with Abraham specifically saying. I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to bless the earth with your descendants. And yet later on here is a descendant of Abraham. And he's saying. Oh, the, the godly have ceased. The, the righteous are nowhere to be found. And there have been times that it feels like that. And yet we know that that's not the case. Elijah felt that way. Remember in First Kings 18, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now that would be really something if you're standing there in the presence of these false prophets, 450 of them, and you're the only one standing. 
And the truth is, he wasn't the only one. We know that because later the Lord revealed to him that there were still 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah, and I identify with him sometimes because I feel very little in a world that is screaming all kinds of things that are counter to my Christian worldview. And it's hard to stand sometimes and you think you're alone. Only to realize, no, God has many more servants that are out there. And they did that. And in 1 Kings 19, 18 is that verse. The Lord says, Yet have I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God took, took note of every single one of them. And he, knows, he knew where they were. And by the way, he knows where every believer is today that is standing for him. And yet... Elijah wasn't alone. In Isaiah, Isaiah says this, The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. And that is true. I think of the persecution that has gone on in the last hundred years of the Christian church. Far more martyrs have died in the last hundred years of church history than in the previous 1900 years. And I'm, that's, a, that's a stat you can look up and look up, you know, in various things. I have, uh, um, there's, there's different things now, but Operation World that we used there back when I was in Bible Institute. And uh, in that, it had countries highlighted and what was there and all that. And they continue to update that online even to this day. And you can go look up a country and find out how many people identify as Christians, how many as this religion or that religion, the dominant religion, and the breakdown demographically of things. And then they talk about persecution sometimes in those some countries and all that. I think of places in Africa that have been targeted for Islamization. And there, there are Christians that have perished by the thousands in the last few years. Have you heard about it? Not much. I mean, if you're reading magazines like Voice of the Martyrs and others, you get that. Um, but generally, that's not on the news. It's not talked about. And no men take it to heart. That's what Isaiah says. It was a problem in his day. Merciful men are taken away. We need more merciful men, don't we? We don't need angry, violent men that have no mercy. While no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. And uh, no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. So there was that problem. Uh, Micah, the prophet Micah, look in chapter 7, he says, Woe is me! For I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat for of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth. Sometimes that's the way it feels. And these prophets, like Elijah and Isaiah and uh, Micah and David, they stood there wondering, is there anyone else out there? And there is no one upright among men. They all lie and wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. That they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. And the great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. 
Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I'm glad there's that verse after those other verses. Do you ever feel like Micah? You feel like, wow, this is the way it is. Jeremiah does the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 5, 1. Run to and fro from the, through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek her in her open places if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. That was a testimony of the Lord on Jerusalem. And you know, wasn't entirely true that there were no righteous people in the land or because when they were taken into captivity uh, in two successive waves but they were taken into captivity there are people in babylon that were righteous david uh, daniel and his friends and others and the jews that were there later you would have the account of esther years later and there are righteous people you know and i think where'd that come from but in the commentary of Jeremiah's day, it didn't look very good, did it? The Apostle Paul felt that way. Second Timothy chapter 4, his last letter that he writes. He says, at my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Paul felt alone. You can imagine him under trial he's facing execution and all those people that he had reached and ministered to and been with they weren't they weren't there jesus had the same happened to him didn't he? his closest fled and they were nowhere to be found after the crucifixion we have the words of the righteous next you have the wicked they also speak, and that's the part here that's dedicated in the imprecatory section, um, verses 2 to 4. And the wicked speak deceptive words. This should be the, the psalm of the political leader, probably, of many. You know, not all political leaders are bad, but listen, we live in a world where, you know, it, I don't care what side you're on, this side, that side, up, down, wherever you are, there's a lot of just deception that goes on, and lying, and Sometimes you just want somebody to come up and speak the truth as it is. I think we're, we would love that, wouldn't we? They speak idly everyone with his neighbor. You know what? Endless talking. But it's idle. It's vain. It's empty. There isn't a word in it that will save anybody. There isn't any word in it that will bring anybody any rescue. He goes on to say, With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Flattering lips and a double heart you know that is sometimes the way uh, people are aren't they um, it says may the lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things now this is david's song a prayer an imprecatory prayer as he says cut off their flattering lips and their tongue now i don't know what david had in mind when that came out and he wrote that whether he was thinking of someone taking a knife and cutting people's lips off and their tongues, that might do some people really good, you know, finally. 
Or maybe he was just saying, cut them off. Let them go away. Don't, don't have them in this world. By the way, both would result in someone not being able to communicate right. When you're dead, you don't speak. And when you're dead, you don't tell lies. But also when you're dead, you can't tell the truth, can you? May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Ultimately, it boils down to the idea that man is his own God. And he does not want anyone to lord over them. And he doesn't want God. And that's the rebellion at its heart. That's why I think even taking words and twisting them and and using flattering words and all that, it's really ultimately a rebellion against God who speaks truth and gives us clear things in Scripture and how we ought to behave and live and operate and institutions we should have, like marriage and those things. And when someone comes along and redefines something and says we're somehow enlightened, they aren't. They're actually going into darkness. And those are latter signs of a degeneration away from God, right? In that. You know, believers, spirit-filled, spirit-controlled believers should have discernment over those things. 1 John chapter 2 is this kind of commentary with that in mind. John writes, little children, it is the last hour. By the way, if it was the last hour when John wrote it, how much closer are we? And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. You know, as, as false things arise and deception and all this stuff we can title it whatever you want flattering words those are actually signs of the time and that you can expect it will get worse preceding the judgment final judgment of god and preceding uh, the return of christ and i think we see that now They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You see, those who are sealed and and anointed by the Holy Spirit, right? Believers that are walking with Him and filled with the Spirit of God they have special discernment to know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. By the way, you see a trinity involved in that? In that verse? Beware of those who come and deny the trinity. That is, a John was very clear about that. They are liars. And they maybe have been deceived and bought into a lie, maybe not even realizing they're lying, but there it comes out of a lie. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. 
These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And John just says, if you're one of his, you should have discernment. Uh, And again, the premise of that is that you're walking with the Lord. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit in that way. And that carries a picture of being yielded to him. And you're yielded in truth. It's not just a blind uh, following, but rather which the Lord sometimes, I would say this very clearly, gives us discernment even when we don't have the knowledge of those things around us. Like you come into a situation and you know, you just say something's not right here. And God puts that on your heart. Uh, And I know we don't like to talk about feelings and heart and all that stuff sometimes, but that is how God works sometimes giving us discernment that something's not right. I don't know what, but I'm going to leave. But he also gives us discernment of the Word of God. And as you have the Bible and you memorize Scripture or you you read through the Bible, he gives us wisdom. And I don't know how many times I have come up against something and I've, I've said, I wonder if I, I, I should do that or if I'm right. And then right in that very next time I'm in the Bible, he shows me a verse and says, there it is, Karen. <laughs> You can learn. And, uh, and, and I'm thankful he does that. Over and over again through my Christian walk, he's shown me scriptures right after I've asked him. And James says that, right? If you lack wisdom, ask the Lord, right? He gives liberally. The Father of lights, right? Giving liberally. I'm glad we need that kind of liberality. Well, wicked, deceptive words. It really probably describes a lot of the communication that comes today. <laughs> Uh, vanity, which is sort of useless words, right? Flattery. Flattery is uh, basically manipulation is what that is. You come up to somebody and say, oh, you just, uh, you look so good today. And in your mind, you're thinking that's the ugliest person I've seen in a long time, right? But you're doing it to get someone's, to, to a desire. You're, you're so good at that. Wow, why don't you just take over this and take this from me and, and do that work, you know? You ever have somebody that does that and all of a sudden you realize, I don't think he thought I was good at this. He just didn't want to do it. And that's a kind of flattery that goes on sometimes. And David was living in a time, remember, where Saul, who did not want to give up his throne, even though God had anointed David the next king, and Saul got the young men against David, the rightful king with flattering words and he was a master at that wasn't he and i'm sure that's some of the backdrop to what david is writing about here manipulation proverbs 26 28 says a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin it's actually ruined to just flatter somebody um and it set them up really that's what it does it sets somebody up for ruin if they're not let's say, good at a task, or they're not uh, in a certain area doing, you know, supposed to be doing something, and you, you kind of encourage them to do that outside of 
of them actually being able to, and it's going to bring ruin. In Christian ministry, we need to avoid that as well. And um, flattery plays on the ego. Uh, it influences people. In uh, Jude chapter, well, Jude 11, verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Remember the error of Balaam? That you have Balaam basically hired, uh, trying to speak against God, and he couldn't. And then God actually used his donkey to prophesy. And, uh, you know, think of error of Balaam. And in that, trying to hire somebody to speak words that aren't true. That goes with that whole idea of flattery. And then a double heart. He says in, uh, back there in, uh, in Psalm, well, I won't go back to that one, but he talks about the double heart there. And that means that they have a heart that is uh, lying, even though they claim to be speaking the truth. I'm always leery of somebody who says, to be truthful with you, you know, I'm like, well, what are you doing before that? You know, what have you said after that? Um, I catch myself saying those things, being truthful. And, 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 but you, you mark my words when you go and you watch somebody give a political speech or something like, and they say, well, I'm going to tell you the truth now. And I'm waiting like, yeah, right. You know, um, most, most often they don't. They're setting you up or setting others up. And there are dire consequences to that. He goes on to say in Psalm, well, this is from Psalm 5, 9, uh, the one we were in last week. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. I wonder if Jesus had that in mind when he said to the Pharisees, you are uh, whited sepulchers, tombs. You're filled with dead men's bones what was coming out of their mouth was the poison of asps is what he says and Psalm 5 and Psalm 12 and others you know spoke hard against the Pharisee it's probably not what they quoted when they wanted to go to the Psalms right Psalm 28 verse 3 do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors but evil is in their heart Beware of those that say peace, peace. That's what Jesus says, right? Sudden destruction will be upon them. Live in a world where somebody will shake hands and say peace to you, but in the process of that, they want to stab you in the back. Sometimes they do it in nations doing that. And think of all the peace treaties that are broken in human history. Only one that is a lasting peace treaty is the one God made between himself and man and he did that with the peace of his cross and the blood of jesus christ which was the sign of the new covenant right thankful he did that gave himself for peace and there was no deception in his lips in that well um verse psalm thirty four thirteen: keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit that's an important verse, isn't it? Psalm fifty-five, twenty-one: 
The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Hmm. And I could look back in history and see a number of times where leaders of the world have been deceived when another leader came along and their words were beautiful and sweet and smooth and in their heart was war. Sometimes it's one-on-one kind of war. Sometimes it's wars between nations. Sometimes it's wars within an assembly. Beware of such people. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That probably ought to be the first thing we say before we even speak to anybody in the morning or throughout the day. Just set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. That would, that would do a lot, wouldn't it? Truth is, most time we don't want the Lord guarding our mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Do you know the, that last verse that we just read there? I think one of the, the, the worst things is um, using our tongues, our lips for something other than the glory of God. Now that doesn't mean you always are talking about the Lord and worship and all that. I mean, we talk with each other. We have to convey, you know, things, right? You know, what color do you want to paint the house? You know, something like that. You know, you start, you have to say specific things. Words are important that way. But what he's saying here is that there are those that say, my words are my words. No one else has a right to the words that I say or the meaning behind those words. And I would say in a free speech society, and that's limited <laughs> for sure, um, we want our words to be able to be freely spoken, things like that. We really, the reality though is for the Christian, our words are not entirely to be f- spoken freely. They're to be spoken on behalf of the Lord in that way. And out of that comes a freedom of speech and expression and thought and all those things that we should have that arose in Western civilization and it came as a result of many times people embracing values from the scriptures. But you know, there are those that will say, I'll, I'll say whatever I want to say and I'll say it anyway. I was one before I became a Christian. If I wanted to swear, I'd swear. If I wanted to curse in the Lord's name, I'd curse in the Lord's name. Only to realize afterwards, when he convicted me of that sin, that those words were not my right to say. Those words were going to the heart of a holy and righteous God who loved me so much. And what I was saying on his behalf or to him in that way and to others were nothing more than hurtful things. Boils down to who is Lord over us. That's the question that man asks. Well, a lot more could be said about that one. Um, And really, it all boils down to what you're going to speak, right? Jesus put it this way, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. If there's something that you, like for instance, profess Christ, and then the fruit of your lips 
is something that is not what Christians should be saying. It's plain and simple. One way or the other. But don't, don't ride the fence on that, right? And he says to them, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Yeah. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's what Jesus says on it. Here we go. And the Lord, that's the last part of this. Delivering words. So you have despairing words, deceptive words, and then delivering words. And I'm glad that this psalm doesn't just end with that imprecatory prayer of cut off their lips, right? Uh, uh, listen he goes on to say this for the oppression of the poor for the sighing of the needy now I will arise says the Lord the Lord hears the call of the righteous he hears the prayer of David and others and the testimony of his righteousness filling the earth going throughout the earth Uh, you know ultimately it will come to the filling of the earth um in the future in the millennial kingdom listen says that god hears our prayers and he answers i will set him in the safety for which he yearns the words of the lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times you shall keep them O lord you shall preserve them from this generation forever for the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Beware of the times, and again, we live in a time where vileness is exalted. People say, that is just fantastic, and they, they, they tell you all the gory details of their perversions and things like that. The Bible says that that is a time where God will judge, and be careful of that. But he delivers also. And that's what he says here in now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. And I like that word safety in the Hebrew. It's the same root, root word for Yeshua. Yesa. Salvation. Deliverance. Help. God says, I'll deliver him. I'll deliver him from this world that is filled with vileness and evil and wickedness and deceitful talk and flattering words and vain things and i will deliver him and ultimately that's where we're going we're going to be delivered from this world it may look bad while we're in it but what awaits for us in the glories of heaven is a place where there'll never be another curse word ever spoken there'll never be another blasphemous thing said there'll never be someone telling about all the debauchery that's going on in their life It will be words of truth, words of worship, words of glory, words of indescribable beauty. And God will teach us, won't he, during that time. I look forward to that. Yesa. Help, deliverance, salvation. We have that waiting for us. Lord, I pray even tonight, 
Lord, do we live in a world where there are so many divided hearts, people with saying one thing but meaning another, wanting evil, calling good evil and evil good. And Lord, we cry out tonight also that your word would go forth, the purity of your word in truth, in love, as you said, to speak the truth in love. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would put to silence some of these things that are around us, O Lord, not for our glory or even for our protection, but for your glory and your honor. And we thank you that we have that hope of deliverance in Yeshua, Jesus. And we look forward, Lord, to that time. We'll be in your presence. And these other things that we're so concerned about sometimes here will not even be remembered. We thank you for that hope in Jesus' name. Amen.